How's everyone doing this morning? I first I want to introduce myself because uh, I do see some faces that I am not familiar with. Hey, Crystal, will you just like slap everyone in there? Send them in. I'm just kidding. I, I would never condone that, but really do that. Something like that. My name is Lisa Wilkinson. I am on the speaking team here. Uh, Sam invited me this year to join the speaking team at Reve, which is very exciting because I like to preach. And um, I don't know if my family likes it when I preach because I um, maybe get a little uh, edgy. No edgy. Like, you know, I'm like, I need like earphones and preparing. I don't know. Something about like, you know, just like the preparation, uh, getting ready for it. Um, but I, we are actually in a series here called Unraveling Shame. And how many of you were here last week? No judgment. I just want to know kind of like how much. Yeah. Okay. So a little more than half of you were here. Okay. So last week, uh, Sam started off this series, uh, entitled Unraveling Shame. And this week I have the privilege of doing kind of like the middle section. So, um, you know, having to face my own shame in the preparation of this has definitely been um, a thing. So, uh, and, but before I go on, I just wanted to say thanks to Julia and Johnny and Nick and Jonathan for leading worship this morning. Didn't they do a fantastic job? And I have to say, for me, a good worship service is when the Spirit's here, and I just felt the Holy Spirit this morning, and I just think that was fantastic. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, and I think it was just really, really cool way to start the service and then go into prayer. Just a great, great morning. Um, so unraveling shame. Of course, I'm going to start with a story. I, I think a lot of you guys uh, who know me know that I worked at Starbucks, actually, for several years. I worked at Starbucks before um, I came up, we came up to Longmont and, uh, you know, started Reve up, and um, I, uh, I, I'm like a really loyal person. Any really loyal people out there, like, you're going to go for a company, and then you're just never going to quit. Well, that's me, okay? So I'm just one of those people, and um, I, I was like, for me, I'm also like, okay, what's the next level? What's the next level? Always going for the next promotion, whatever that may be. And so I, I made the mistake, I think it was a mistake, I don't know, I could be wrong, of telling my boss, like, I will never quit. I'm so loyal to you, to Starbucks, to whatever, that I will never quit. You will literally have to fire me. And so, and so he did. So, and, 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 and it is funny, but it did not feel funny. So um, just a little bit of backstory, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's shame with getting fired. Uh, if you've been fired, you probably know what it feels like, uh, regardless of why you got fired. I'll share a little bit of why, and then you can maybe understand the depth of my shame. There was a, a gal there who um, I really wanted to help out get you know, promoted to the next position. I was the, the manager of the store, and um, you know, they had a very strict policy, no overtime. And um, she was working really hard to not get written up so that she could get the next promotion. If you get written up, you can't get promoted. And um, so she basically accidentally went into overtime because she forgot to clock in for a, like a leadership meeting that we had. And so I caught that as I was doing payroll the next Monday. And I said to my girl, I don't want to say her name because this is going on Facebook. I said to her, you know, do you, will you, like, I have to, give you this hour. And she was like, oh, no, please, because then you have to write me up, which is true. I would have had to have written her up. But, but Starbucks is a very honorable with their time work equals time paid kind of thing. And so 
Long story short, what I ended up doing, and this was totally my choice, was I ended up the following week putting that hour on the following week and then giving her time and a half because overtime's time and a half, right? About a year later, shortly after I told my boss that he'd have to fire me in order to get me to leave, I got fired for that, for doing that thing. And, and they fired me for ethics and integrity, which, I mean, you could probably deduce by the fact that I'm standing up here that that matters to me, like a lot. It matters a lot. And so I carried a lot of shame. I carried a ton of shame. And, and, and for about a month before I got the job that I or the, started working for the company that I work for now, I mean, it was like when you have nothing to do, shame feels a lot bigger. I mean, it's just like it grows and it festers and it gets worse. And it's, it's just really, really ugly. And I think that we've all done something in our lives where shame can kind of work its way in there, get in, kind of grow, fester a little bit. Um, and I wanted to tell my story so that you could know, like, nobody's without it, but also so that you can kind of understand there is a way through it. And I still deal with it every once in a while. Like it's, I think this might be the first time I've ever publicly said I've been fired from Starbucks for ethics and integrity. I'm like, oh no, it's out there now. Um, so, and that's, but you know what? It, it is what it is. That's, that's what happened. And I know that I have ethics and I have an integrity. And so I have to just move forward with that, knowing that I have that. Um, but there is actually a story in the Bible that I wanted to share with you guys uh, about someone who really struggled with shame. And so we're going to start here. And I do want to say that we are starting Jesus and his disciples. They are traveling by foot and they are going to go um, from uh, Judea to Galilee. But in order to do that, they have to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria and uh, this is near uh, the ground where Jacob, uh, you know, and all the like the burial grounds and things like that. And so um, what I wanted to just call out before I move on is this part where it says had to, okay? Because that is a really, uh, that's kind of got like mixed meaning in it. He, they had to go through Samaria. You guys have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. If you haven't, the idea is that the Jews and the Samaritans really just hated each other. And um, so good Samaritan, from a Jewish perspective, was like an oxymoron. You know, good, good Samaritan, <laughs> you know, it's like clever. And um, so for us, like, we just think Samaritans are good. And, and they weren't bad. It's just that there was just this, um, you know, fighting that they had. And um, so, so when the Jewish people were walking to, going from Judah to Galilee or Galilee to Judah, they actually um, took this route, okay? So you can see at the, at the top is Galilee and at the bottom is Judah. And so when Jesus and the disciples were traveling, there's actually a road now that where you have to cross the Jordan River twice rather than just going through Samaria. Like, and this is not a couple miles, okay? Going, if you go straight through, it's 70 miles and they're walking. Okay, so imagine, I didn't want to do the math because I didn't think y'all would care, although that would be really exciting for me. I just figured not to do that to you guys, but really just imagining how much longer it's going to be to go around like this, plus you're crossing the Jordan River, which was no small river. Um, and so like they were super committed to going 
around Samaria. And so to hear that Jesus had to go through Samaria is an important piece of information for this story because he actually didn't have to do anything. I mean, he's Jesus Christ, right? He can do whatever he wants. It's not like he had an appointment there, um, at least not a written down one because, but there's something about Jesus Christ where he knew and he sought out those who needed to have an encounter with him. And what a better place to go than to go straight through Samaria. So he goes straight through Samaria. He had to. It was like in his gut. Have you guys ever had like that moment where you're like, I just have to do this. I can't explain it. I think this is what Jesus was feeling right now. And I'm guessing his disciples were like, Jesus, I was hoping for the extra mileage. You know, they don't want to go through Samaria, but they're doing it. They're going through. So the story continues on. Um, and uh, it starts, it continues on at verse six. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So again, I want to pause here. So I want to make sure that we get all the bits and pieces out of the story here. So what in the world does noon have to do with anything? Noon was actually the time in which people did not go get water from the well. Okay? So Jesus is showing up. He's sitting by this well, and he's sitting there. And as he's sitting there, he's probably thinking, hopefully someone, because it's not like he's carrying a jug with, you know, to, to draw water from. He's probably waiting for someone to... Um, uh, you know, get him water or something. And a Samaritan woman shows up to draw water. So Jesus is sitting there waiting. He sends the disciples into town to get some food, so it's just Jesus, okay? Now, I just wanted to throw a picture of what I imagine the Samaritan woman probably, like, kind of looked like and what I imagine, because this is actually from some of the land out there um, in Samaria, and so it was, it was dry, it was hot. She's carrying empty jars at this point to fill with water, okay? So it, she's burdened, you know, like uh, physically, literally burdened. Um, but as we get deeper into the story, we actually learn that she's actually spiritually burdened as well with, with some shame. And she's walking up here, and she's actually, um, she, she actually, she's weary, she's alone, okay? Like all these things. And, and I think she chose this time of day on purpose, she did not want to be around other people. And shame does that to us. Sometimes it isolates us. Sometimes it makes us want to avoid people. But little did she know she was about to have an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. She's carrying this burden up and she sees Jesus there. And um, so she comes, draws some water. Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? Now, that was... That was only halfway appropriate. So the only real appropriate interactions between men and women really are, will you give me a drink? Okay. And, the, and it's actually only half appropriate because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Okay. So we're really kind of like already borderline. Like this is not, our, the conversation's already not appropriate. Um, and she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? So Jews don't actually associate with Samaritans. And um, she actually seems, sounds a little snarky, right? She's kind of like, like I, you know, which is kind of funny to me because, you know, um, it, it, Sam actually mentioned last week that sometimes in, when we're in shame, we lash out. 
And so she's in shame, and she kind of gets her feathers ruffled up a little bit. She's like, why would you ask me for a drink, you know? And so what ends up happening, and the reason is because she wanted to show up here alone. She's annoyed. Now all of a sudden, there is someone here who's asking her for a drink of water inappropriately. She probably doesn't, she knows he's a stranger. She doesn't want to have to explain her story. Why are you at the well alone? How come no one else is with you? those kinds of things. And so she's just getting agitated, a little aggravated. And she's hoping to hide in her shame. She doesn't want to address it. So Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and I'm not going to drag you through the whole conversation, they end up having this pretty intense conversation about, you know, water and living water and thirsty and, you know, and, and, um, and she's like, well, how can I get this water that I'll never have to drink again? And, and he's like trying to explain to her like this is metaphorical and, you know, you know, it comes from God. And so um, she, what she ends up doing, because she's like, I know, I know, we're all waiting for the Messiah. She's kind of like, yeah, duh, like who, like who do you think you are? You know, like you're just telling all this, us all this information. It's still kind of edgy and lashy. And then um, Jesus declares, this is what he says. Because she's like, we're waiting for him. And she goes, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, a couple of things kind of um, hit me when I read this, because I'm thinking if I were speaking to a stranger and he says he's the Messiah, I mean, hmm, cuckoo, right? <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking, like I would have thought. There's something about him and about his conversation and interaction with her that actually causes her to believe. And, and when we talk about shame, um, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to, to combat it. There's three. And last week we talked about exposing it. And Jesus has this whole conversation with her where he just exposes her shame. He says, you've had so many husbands and the one you're sleeping with right now isn't even your husband. He's just exposing the shame, just bringing it out, bringing it out. And then... He offers her living water, basically saying, it's okay. I can cover that. And it hits her. It hits her. All of a sudden, she gets it. Like, this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the one. And so what happens next is really interesting, especially in light of the picture that I pulled up, because what she does is she leaves her water jar and she goes back down to the town and says to the people, come and see. So not only is she, sh is she so unburdened, she leaves her water jar, the entire purpose of coming out to the well in the first place, she leaves her water jar and she runs into the town to talk to the people that she didn't even want to face to get do a normal, everyday interaction. So her shame, she is set free. And what was it? What was it that she, that happened, because she, um, the, the next verse down says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the women's testimony. So she starts with shame, so much shame that she's avoiding people. She's metaphorically and literally burdened. She unburdens completely, runs into town. People see a difference in her and they believe. So what was the secret sauce here? So there are a ton of applications of this story. I'm sure you guys have heard, I mean, you know, some of you might have heard a million story, uh, you know, messages on this story, but today we're focusing on the shame aspect of this story. 
And um, what I wanted to do was bring up a definition. So um, last week, um, we talked about uh, uh, bringing shame to light in order to unravel it. And so um, this uh, quote from Brene Brown is, uh, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Shame creates feelings of fear, blame, and disconnect. So what I want to do is just make sure that I draw attention to the fact that shame is different than guilt or regret or embarrassment. Okay? Guilt is actually can be, is an emotion that can be given by God in order to help us, to bring us to repentance, to help clean up messes, to bring us to ask for forgiveness. But after we do those things, after we bring it to light, after we deal with it, after we ask for forgiveness, come to repentance, guilt should lessen over time probably. And it might, it might, it might take some time, but regardless, guilt should lessen. Um, and then embarrassment, I mean, it's, you're, when you're in an embarrassing situation, you probably recognize, okay, this happens to everybody. This is super embarrassing. Again, it's just one of those things that if you can kind of talk about it or make jokes about it or something like that, it can lessen. Embarrassment will lessen over time. And same with regret. But shame is something that grows in intensity. It's the thing that brings you down. It's the thing that causes you to avoid people, to avoid your people. It causes you to hide. It causes you to go to your darkest places. That's shame. Shame is something that we experience, but it will grow if it is unaddressed. And living in shame, I want to make sure I bring this, living in shame denies the possibility of grace. I'm going to say that again. Living in shame denies the possibility of grace. And what does that even mean? It, it's saying that my shame is bigger than God. It's saying that the grace of God himself can't even fix me. It can't even forgive me. And God's grace is not enough for what I've done. That's what shame is. And that's why last week Sam talked about, and this was his key key, first key to unraveling shame is number one, you must walk in the light. And one of the key things that I, I pulled out from Sam's message when he was speaking last week is that this requires courage. It took a lot of courage for me even to say this up here. I mean, it's been a year, two, since 2010, it's been almost nine years since I was fired from Starbucks. And it's still hard for me to talk about but bringing your shame to light requires courage. It requires courage to expose the dark places of your soul. It even required courage on Jesus' part to really reach in and say to that woman, you've done this, you've done this, and just bringing it to the light. But we have to bring our shame to the light if we want to unravel shame. If you can't bring it to light and then accept Christ's love, you can't come from shame. And so the second key here is that you have to accept that the grace of God is for you. It's not just for the person next to you. It's not just for the people with those really cool testimonies that stand up and 
share with weeping tears that God has changed them dramatically. It's not just for people who got fired for ethics and integrity. <sighs> Jesus saved me, especially for me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, it's for you. And shame can start small. It can start from something small and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we let it grow. We let it fester. We hide it. We cover it. And then we don't believe, we don't even believe that the grace of God is for us. But I'm here to tell you today, the grace of God is for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. Oh, I care. But it doesn't matter because the grace of God is for you. And what's interesting about shame is it is no respecter of truth. Shame will bring you down on lies. And shame can bring you down when someone's done something against you. And you can feel shame for that. And it can be something as simple as telling a lie to your parents or cheating a time card a little bit. Shame can start in any place and grow from there if we don't expose it to the light. And the second part is accept the grace of God is for you. This requires compassion. And what I wanted to do is just give you a quick definition of compassion and expand on it a little bit. So compassion is defined, this is Webster's Dictionary, by the way. Um, and, and most definitions don't like Webster's definition. Um, if you actually look at it, it's like compassion as defined in the Bible. So I wanted to give you Webster's first. So sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. But I want to take it just a step further for others and for yourself. Because here's the thing. It's easy to have compassion for others who are living in shame. It's easy, unless you're judgmental. <laughs> then it might not be so easy, and then you got to pray for that. But I'll say this. It is significantly easier to have compassion for others who are living in shame. It's really hard to have compassion for yourself when you're living in shame. And so you have to embrace compassion. You have to accept it for yourself. And when we see it in others, we really want to help. And we get in there and we're like, oh, let me help you. Let me, let's get you a counselor or come, come to my house. Let's talk or let's go on a hike together or all the different things that we do. Let's go get coffee. Go, come to my church. You know, we're just having compassion for these people. Jesus loves you just the way you are. But when it comes to us, we have a hard time believing it or applying it in our lives. And maybe that's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't even know what that means or feels like. I'm here to tell you today, that can start today. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the God of the universe himself. You can start that today. He welcomes and accepts every single person. And if you already have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you are allowing shame to take over your life and you refuse to accept the grace of God and you will not let compassion, the compassion of Jesus Christ, the very compassion that he showed the woman at the well, if you refuse to accept that in your life, you're basically saying that you're bigger than God or that you're too much for God or that your problem is too difficult or too bad 
or too ugly or too evil. But I'm here to tell you today that nothing is too big for God. Nothing is too ugly for God. Nothing is too evil for God. His light shines in the darkest places when you allow him in. And if you allow the compassion of Jesus Christ to come and pour over your life, he can wipe away shame. You see, compassion is actually the very core of who Jesus Christ is. Love. God is love. It is innate in him. Everything he does is for the purpose of compassion, for the purpose of love, for the purpose of allowing people to come to him and receive him. We saw it in a lot of different verses. And I mean, when you look up compassion in Jesus, or love in Jesus, it's like, I mean, you just, there's so much to sit through. And he, 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 he had compassion on the crowds. Like they were hungry and he had compassion on them and he fed them and, and they were sick and he had compassion and, and he healed them and, and they were lame and he had compassion and he got them walking again and, and the souls are lost and so he forgives them. And, you know, I mean, Jesus is out there just offering compassion left and right and left and right. And we wonder why doesn't God do miracles today? And a lot of times it's because we're keeping him at an arm's length. We're saying, I've got too much shame in here. You stay back there. You can stay my Lord. I'll let you in when I'm ready or when I need you. But I'm kind of comfy with this shame right here. It's cozy. I know what it feels like. It's a little scary letting you in and letting you wash over me with compassion. And why is it so scary? It's because we're not used to it. We don't know what it feels like. Or we've lived so long in our shame that we, we've, we've forgotten what, what unconditional love pouring over you really feels like. When we allow ourselves to live in shame, we refuse this gift. We refuse Christ's ultimate gift of compassion to us. You have to accept that the grace of God is for you. Without this, you can't unravel that shame. It's going to keep getting worse and getting deeper and getting more. You see, when I was working at Starbucks and then I was walked out in tears and handing my boss my keys and with my head down in shame and getting in my car just trying to process what in the world just happened. And then the next month, you know, I, my kids were like, Mommy, you're the best. They don't know, you know, and like, and they don't, my, the kids, you know, they don't know. They were so little. And, and Zach's like, like, forget them. We'll just move on. And, you know, and just like, just people just coming. And what, what's, what was so interesting is that anyone who hears the story is like, that's a weird reason to fire someone for, you know, like that's kind of feels a little trumped up, you know. And, but I didn't feel that way. I felt not just guilt, but shame. Like, how can I be in the ministry? How can I tell people about Jesus when I can't even keep it right? I mean, it was, it was really hard for me. And one thing that I've always struggled with in my life is perfectionism. If I'm not perfect, I'm bad. If I'm not perfect, I take on shame. And so compassion is an antidote not only to shame, but to perfectionism. You struggle with that. Th these are, so shame is definitely something 
It doesn't just fall off immediately. You have to accept daily the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. You have to let him wash over you daily. You have to practice compassion on yourself. You have to speak words of life to yourself. And I don't mean like stand in the mirror and say, I'm beautiful, I'm smart, and gosh darn it, I like me. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but if that works, do it. Please, if that works, do it. I would feel silly. But I will say this, when those negative, ugly, shame thoughts come into your head, I want you to stop. And I want you to say, God, give me your eyes from me. How do you see me? What do you feel about me? What do you know about me? What is true? What needs light? And what needs to be dealt with? And what needs to fall away? God will do that for you. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And um, could you do break every chain? Um, We're going to do a couple different things today. So I feel very strongly that, that if you've never accepted Christ in your life or you've allowed the shame to come in and say that whenever you did it, it wasn't real or anything like that, if you, if you want to accept Christ, we're going to do that. And then I also want to do a second thing, and that is that if you are living in shame for whatever it is, okay, whatever it is, I want to do a prayer for you as well. So we're going to um, pray. Um, and if everyone just wants to bow their heads and close their eyes, um, you guys can start playing whenever you want. Um, first of all, this morning, I, I want to talk to the first group. So if everyone wants to bow their heads and, um, if you are here this morning and you want that unconditional compassion, love of Jesus Christ, maybe you've never accepted Christ in your heart before. Maybe Maybe you have, but you've allowed shame to tell you that it wasn't real. I'd like you just to slip your hand up right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. just want to see if there's anyone out there. And we can pray. Give you guys a minute. If you want to accept the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ this morning. And then the second group that I want to talk to today is if you've been living in shame, if you're under the burden of perfectionism, if you can't let something go because you can't see yourself the way Jesus sees you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just want you to receive this prayer that I'm going to pray right now. And then I want to challenge you to bring it to the light and talk to someone. Talk to someone who is safe. You've got Sam. You've got the elders on the board here. You've got Melody. You've got all the people who serve and support here. And I know that you guys have made some really awesome connections here. Talk to your friends. Talk to your people. But you've got to bring it to the light. And then you have to accept the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ over that. So let's pray. Lord, there is power in your name. There is power in the name of Jesus to break the chains of shame and bondage over our lives. This 
this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each person in this room to expose the shame to light because dark things cannot hide in the light. God, I pray that your light would shine in and that your love would come in, that the, that the people in this room have been suffering and dealing with shame for so long can open their hands and receive your compassion this morning. Lord, that they can walk in it, that they can be so unburdened that they leave everything behind and run into town and tell everyone else about what you've done for them. God, I pray that you would move in people's lives with compassion. Lord, you are the kind of God that will go out of your way to seek those out who are dealing with shame. You will go out of your way to interact with people you would normally not interact with, God. You are that kind of Savior. And you don't ask us to be anything other than who we are when we come to you. So God, I pray that your love would wash over us this morning. Lord, wash over us this morning. Let your Holy Spirit come and fill people right now with your compassion.